And I try to get a theme, to develop a theme, or a book, a, a book in the Bible to study, or some character from the Bible on Sunday night. And I've just been preaching on congregational relationships, how to develop the, uh, the love of the people, the love of the congregation. And I've come to the end of this series tonight, and I want to just kind of take some scriptures at random to kind of tie together all that I've said. We're going to look first at uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. So if you want to get into that and put your little pinky there and uh, kind of listen up, because we'll get there in just a minute. Hebrews 13. There's an old proverb that came over on the boat that says, A shared joy is a double joy, and a shared sorrow is half a sorrow. And you understand what that proverb means. It means that if you have something that you really, uh, it's exciting and good news, and you share it, give somebody else a sense of joy and happiness. Let's just say, for example, you get this special promotion, get a special job that you've been wanting to, you know, you've been wanting all your life. And you get this promotion, you just can't wait to tell somebody. So you call up the person you love the most. Maybe you call your wife or your husband or your best friend. And you say, hey, just, I, want, I got some good news. I got that promotion that I've been after. And you both rejoice together. A shared joy is a double joy. A shared sorrow is half a sorrow. It really is. So that perhaps you're facing, maybe the doctor comes in and he says to you, I believe we're going to have to do surgery. A lady came up in the hall to me, to, with me, to me today, this morning, before Sunday school. And she said, I need to talk to you, Brother Gerald. And uh, we kind of got off the side. And she said, I'm going to the hospital today and uh, may be facing possible surgery. And wanted you to pray with me. And I could tell she was really concerned and anxious about it. And it somehow helps us, you know, to share that and let somebody know about it so that that person can kind of bear the burden with us. A shared joy, give me a little more. A shared joy is a double joy, and a shared sorrow is half a sorrow. Now, sharing our lives together does not come naturally because, you see, we come out of pioneer stock. And the characteristic of the pioneer spirit was isolation and self-reliance. And these pioneers, you know, put these invisible signs around their necks and said, no help wanted. And to say that they, were, they had a need or to say they needed help was an admission of weakness. And so they never would do it. We come from that kind of stock, from that kind of pioneer philosophy. Um, there was a time when the government said to the pioneer, if you'll go out and leave the urban cities and go out into the unclaimed wilderness, we'll give you a quarter of a section of land if you'll just claim it and, and pioneer it and homestead it. And so they did. And these pioneers that we make heroes of went out there and that self-reliance and that confidence and that self-assured independence, and they claimed this quarter of a section and they began to homestead it. You know what they did? They built sod huts. You know where they placed them? Right in the center of the quarter section. Because it made them feel good, you know, to get up in the morning and every direction they looked, it, they, what they could see was theirs, you see. And right out in the center of the quarter section, they put that sod hut. I read, read recently of a sociologist who said it was a terribly devastating to those pioneers. He said, you look at the pictures of those people that went into the wilderness and built their sod huts in isolation. He said, what you'll see are kind of weird-looking men and wild-eyed women and haunted children. And so they took those mud huts and they moved them down to the corner of their quarter section. 
And their neighbors came over to the same quarter, to the same corner that adjoined, that was adjacent to theirs. And all of a sudden, there were three other people living side by side in that corner of their little corner of the world. And they shared their joys and their sorrows. And they shared their affluence and their want. And they shared their needs and their blessings, their life and death. And so what I've been trying to talk to us about in these, in this series of messages, and it's been so heartening to hear people in, the, in town who watch on television from other churches and other denominations tell how much this has meant to them to be able to learn the true spirit of a congregation, spirit of sharing and a spirit of love. What I've been trying to help us see is, help us to do is to take our sod huts out of the center of our quarter sections and move them over where other people are. What I've been saying that the Scripture's teaching is that we're to take our sod huts from the quarter section of land that we call our privacy and our rights and begin to share the lives of other people. Really what I've been talking about is involvement. I've really been talking about accountability. I want you to underscore that word. You don't hear too much about that, accountability, especially in a church or from a pulpit. Accountability. Now, we fix some thoughts in our minds when we hear the word accountability. I think of that note I've got down at the bank. I'm accountable for it. Got my whole family and my in-laws and everybody mortgaged, you know, and my car and house in Fort Worth, and I'm accountable for that mortgage. And every month I have to, you know, remit a certain amount. I feel accountable and am. When you hear the word accountability, you think of occupation and you know you go to work in the morning at a certain time and you work so many hours and you put in so much work and you get off at a certain time and you're accountable to somebody for it. You college students, it's almost over, but you've been accountable. This week, you'll be accountable for what you've had in class or had not. And you'll take those tests and you'll be accountable for that. But when you come to Christianity and when you come to the church, what does accountability mean? Accountability means the willingness to explain your, your actions. It's the willingness to explain your actions. Accountability is a willingness to answer for your lives. Accountability is a willingness to give reasons why. Now, the what answers are easy to answer. I mean, we spend a lot of time answering what questions, but we don't really spend enough time answering why questions because we don't want to be accountable to anybody. It's the difference between married life and single life, Glenn. Accountability. <laughs> married life and single life means that you'll be accountable to another person throughout your whole life. And you just try some of those tricks that you've tried as a single person, and you're going to be accountable for them one of these days. You guys, you're laughing at this single guy that's fixing to get married over here, but... You park that boat that you're fixing to buy out in front of your house and you don't tell your wife about it. And you're going to answer the question, why, when you get home, when she gets home. And sometimes you go home in the evening and you feel kind of down and your wife asks why. And I want you to know that the best marriages are the marriages where people are willing to answer the questions, why? Accountable. Now... I just want to show you in the Scriptures some accountability, and we're going to look first at Hebrews chapter 13. Now, Hebrews chapter 13 is a chapter that talks to people who are Christians who live near and among one another. This is a book written to Christians who live near and among one another. 
and they're learning to live as a congregation with one another. They're learning how to be together as one big happy family. Let me say parenthetically, that when we come together as a church, we need to answer three questions. Question number one, what can we do to help other people love God more? What can I do to help other other people love God more? Question number two, what can I do to help us love one another more? That's a big question that's on my heart every day. What is it that I can do? What can I lead you to do that will help us love one another more? There's some unlovely people here. Now, I'm not one of them. But there's some unlovely folks in every place. How can we love the unlovely? How can we love one another more? That's the question. Question number three. What can we do to help us love the world more? And when we really learn to answer those questions and get the right answers for them, we've learned how to live accountably, with accountability in the congregation. Now look at chapter 13, verse 16. It says, And do not neglect doing good and sharing. I mean, tell you what, I don't know if you have ever seen this or not, but that's the, that's the Christian ethic in a nutshell. Do not neglect doing good and sharing. For these sacrifices, such sacrifices, God is pleased. Now look at this accountability. Obey your leaders. Now, I hate to tell you this, but what he's talking about here is not, you know, the the sheriff and the county judge. What he's talking about here are the leaders in the congregation in the church. He's talking about the pastors of the church. And he says, obey your leaders and submit. And I don't know whether, I think it probably does. Your translation has the to them in italics. It really kind of takes away, I think, from the impact. But what he's saying is this, obey your leaders and submit and submit to them and submit to them. Now we have some pastors that God has led to this church. I have a pastor sitting right here on the front row and you have a pastor sitting right over here in the third row and you have a pastor standing by in this pulpit, and you are accountable to them. You folks are singing in the choir, you're accountable to that pastor. You college students and the members of this congregation, single adults primarily, you're accountable to that pastor. You're accountable to the leaders of this church. And submit, it says, to them. I preached an ordination sermon not long ago in a church that's just notorious for... Uh, it's conflict with its pastor. You know, and I just thought, well, I'm going to get some good shots in today. I've just been thinking about it all week, and I said this, and I made it with all my heart. How in the world do you reconcile? How do you, how do you reconcile this? How do you reconcile feeling that God has called a man to be a pastor of the church, and as soon as he gets there, resist everything he wants to do and challenge him in everything he does and... and uh, and criticize him for everything he does. How in the world do you reconcile that? I, I've never been able to understand that. How he, how, how he has to answer for everything he does to, some, you know, to the congregation. It's, a, it's a beyond me. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Now watch this. Why? He says, as those who will give an account. Now underline, as those who will give an account. What he means? He means because these men and this man must give an account. 
Now, who do, to whom do we give an account? Well, we give an account to God, but that's not as far as it goes. We give an account to you. We are accountable to you. But the, but the, the reciprocal arrangement comes into play and the cyclic arrangement comes into play. As you submit to the leadership of your pastor, that pastor in submission to you is accountable to you. And his accountability and his work and his leadership is so much more effective if you, are, if you submit to him, if you are accountable to him. Now watch what he says. He says, let them do this. That is, let the leaders give an account with joy and not with grief. He said, now they're going to give an account. And it, sometimes it's an account with joy. Sometimes, you know, a, a, a pastor goes to God and he says, God, I'm, I'm, I'm just so happy to come to you today on behalf of my congregation and give an account of my work to you tonight, today for my service. This has been a day of joy for me. And sometimes that pastor has to go to God and say, God, I come to you with this day of accountability. And I come with tears in my eyes and with sorrow in my heart. It's been a tough day. You know why? Notice because he says, those of you who are not, now the implied is that if you're not accountable and if you do not submit to the leadership of those pastors, he said, for this will be unprofitable for you. This will be unprofitable for you. Now, some of, there are some people in the congregations who don't want counsel. They don't want, they don't want somebody leading them. They don't want somebody guiding them. They don't want a pastor. And those who refuse to be led will go through an unprofitable experience. It's painful both for that person and the pastor. There's nothing any more painful than to, than to go through an experience where the pastor wants to lead and the people don't want to follow. One time a guy accused me of not being a good leader. I said, well, that's probably true. But I wonder why, if you're a good follower. Now, there's some dangers now with regard to accountability. I want to point out some of them. Now, let's get you a little pinky, and let's turn to 3 John. 3 John, that's that little epistle over there right before Revelation. And there's some dangers of accountability, in accountability, and, and the dangers are the extremes that occur. There's, extreme, uh, there's an extreme on one end and the other. The pendulum swings to the extreme on, in accountability. The first uh, reference is verse 9. If you have to have a chapter, you're in the wrong book because there's just one. 3 John, verse 9. says, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. Here's this guy in the church who was a kind of a self-proclaimed boss among the congregation. Sometimes it is a pastor. Sometimes it's a lay person. Sometimes it's a couple have all the answers. I want you to know my faith, my belief is that the head of the church is Jesus Christ. And there is an extreme. We can take accountability to the extreme. And the extreme is to feel like that everybody is accountable to me. And that before anything is passed, it has to be passed through me. Know anybody sounds like that? If I don't approve of it, we're not going to let it get there. You know, it's not going to happen. That's an extreme. The other extreme is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1, 2, and 3. 
It says, It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, and immorality of such kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles. He said there's things going on in the church that the Gentiles wouldn't even think of doing. Abhorrent. He says that someone has his father's wife living in an adulterous relationship, incestuous relationship with his stepmother. And you have become arrogant. He says, why hasn't the church done something about this? And you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead in order that the one who had done this deed might be removed from your midst. For I on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has committed this, as though I were present, as though I were there to, 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 to see it. Now, this is the other extreme. That is, to be so loose in accountability that there could be all kinds of things going on in the church and nobody standing up to say, hey, you are wrong in that and it needs to be changed. And I want you to know that both extremes will ruin church. Now, what does it take to, 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 to get involved in accountability? It takes that. It takes involvement. And that's painful. If you think it, um, that you can just live your life alone, you're going to die that way. Bishop Sheen uh, wrote that he went to an Atlantic, um, out to an island out in the Caribbean. And he said he was visiting with some Christians and he, uh, he, he asked, he said, what is, the, what is the greatest blessing that has ever come to this congregation? What is the greatest blessing of God upon the life? upon your life. And a guy said, well, he said, I'll have to answer by what we call our greatest sin. He said, our greatest sin is a sin called kaido, the sin of eating alone. He said, we consider that the greatest sin a man can commit is the sin of eating alone. And so when it comes time to eat, a man will get his food and he will literally search the streets for somebody to eat with. Now, conversely, if the greatest sin is the sin of eating alone, the greatest joy and the greatest blessing is to have the fellowship of being one together and involved in the lives of one another and accountable to one another. Not that I'm your boss, but that I have the freedom to come to you and say, hey, you are wrong. Let's straighten this thing out. And you have the same right to come to me and say, Pastor, let's sit down and take a look at this. Accountability. Now, to whom are we accountable? Let's just look at some verses of Scripture. It's hot, and we're going to take them, and we're going to sail right past them, and we're going to quit. Let's go to Romans chapter 14. The 14th of Romans, 14th chapter of Romans. You all know where that is, don't you? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. I want you to look at chapter 14, verse 12. If you're in your notes, we're at the point that has vertical and horizontal. We have a vertical and horizontal accountability. Verse 12 of Romans 14. We're just going to look at some verses and, and go right on. Verse 12 says, reads, So then each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. That's just as plain, it's just self-explanatory. Each one of us will give an account to God. One day, every single one of us will stand accountable to God. We're responsible to Him in life, we're accountable to Him in death. Now, on your, in the margin of your Bible, I want you to write 1 Peter 4, 4 through 5, because that's just a parallel verse that says the same thing. 
We have a horizontal accountability now. Let's look at verses, uh, look at chapter 12 of Romans, same book, chapter 12, verse 4. It says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. Now skip down to, to verse 9. It says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cling to that which is good. Verse 10, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Um, oh, it does, it does, it just really blesses me to see um, you t- coming to, up to one another and, and uh, putting your arm around one another and asking if there's any need, anything I can do. It's just a real blessing to see these college students uh, relating to one another out on the campus, to see these elderly ladies uh, picking one another up in the car. I come down certain streets here in town, I see familiar cars, they're watching after one another, picking one another up for church and Sunday school, you know, come rain or sleet or snow. Be devoted to one another. Be devoted to one another. That's what this church needs, that devotion to one another. Now look at chapter 15, look at that. Chapter 15, verse 1. He says, now we who are strong, look at this. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. And he says, and not just to please ourselves. Now, now occasionally somebody will say, well, pastors never tell us what we're supposed to do in the Christian life. Man, it's there, there it is. We who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength, and we're not to live our lives just to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. How you get any plainer than that? And look it down at verse 14. It says, And concerning you, my brother, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge, and look at that, underline it, and able also to admonish one another. J. Adams calls that competent to counsel. Confronting one another, you, are, you, you have the credentials to do that, and you should do that. Now, what are the advantages, the benefits of accountability? Well, when I get weak, I know somebody's there to pick me up. And when my brother gets weak, I know I'm there to help him. Now turn to Proverbs, and we'll quit when we get into there. When we do all the Proverbs, we'll quit. Now when we do a few here, turn to Proverbs 13. Let me just read some. I'll let God's Word speak for itself. Look at chapter 13, and we'll look at verse 10. Chapter 13, verse 10. Through presumption comes nothing but strife. But with those who receive counsel is wisdom. Verse 14, The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life to turn aside from the snares of death. Verse 18, Poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline. But he who regards reproof will be honored. I mean, he he welcomes reproof will be honored. He can take constructive criticism. He'll be honored. Verse 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise. 
but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Turn to the 20th chapter, verse 30. Every time I read this, I think of Old Dutch cleanser or comet. Verse 30, it says, Stripes that wound scour away evil. You know what he means by that? When somebody comes to you and says, brings that constructive criticism that just cuts, it just scours away the evil like a cleanser. Why would you resist or retaliate when somebody wants to come and, and scour away the evil in your life? Welcome it, young people, adults. Verse 30, stripes that wounds scour away evil and strokes reach the innermost parts. Verse 20, chapter 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. So I'd rather be hit on the, hit in the jaw by a friend than kissed by an enemy. Now, four simple things and I'm through. Number one, this is where you get down to the suggestions that may help. Number one, stop and consider the value of accountability. Stop and consider the value of accountability. We'll all have blind spots. The greatest advice I ever got, a guy came, I, I went to this fellow who is the uh, guy that I named my son after. His name is R.D. Todd. I went... He was just the dearest friend I had in the world. And I was leaving the pastorate where he was a church member. I went to him and I asked him, I asked a question, you know, is there anything that you should tell me about that help me be a better pastor? You know what I was, I was wanting him to say, how can you be any better? And I was wanting him to brag on me. I mean, how do you help, how do you improve perfection? You know what, he didn't brag on me. It crushed me. He said, let me give you some advice that'll help you. You make decisions too quickly. You need to take some time and pray about them and think them through. It's the best advice I've ever gotten. We all have blind spots. It sure does help when you have somebody to tell you the truth. Second, ask yourself two questions tonight. Why should I remain unaccountable? And secondly, what if I keep on being unaccountable? What if I die like William Holden? Newsweek magazine ran an article about him. He was 63 years old when he died. He died alone because the article said he guarded with increasing vigilance his privacy. He was in a drunken stupor, fell, cut his head on a coffee, corner of a coffee table, bled to death. It was five days before ever, anyone ever missed him. Does that seem strange to you, that a man could die and nobody miss him for five days? He lived alone, that's the way he died. What's going to happen to me if I keep on living in isolation? What's going to happen to me if I never relate to anybody in accountability and involvement? Number three. I want you to do this. I want you to choose at least one other person with whom you can relate deeply. You need that person. Some of you have already got that person. Choose you one other person that you can, with whom you can relate deeply. Now, you, you might be married, but you can't relate deeply with your, with your spouse. Find someone you, with whom you can relate deeply. 
of the same sex, of course, but that'd be a little dangerous. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Number four. And I think this might be the kicker of all. Develop a relationship with somebody that, will, that has strength spiritually. Develop a relationship with someone that has a grip on spiritual things. Now, if you're going to get involved in somebody's life, you need to get involved with somebody who has a grip on spiritual things, who has a deep relationship with God, who can strengthen you. Before long, you'll find that you're strengthening them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in time you became involved with us in flesh. And you came and walked on earth to take our pain and walk with us, take our sorrow, walk with us, and share our joys. You taught us that the way we're to live as a Christian, as a congregation, is to live devoted to one another, sharing it with each other, strengthening one another. Oh, Lord, help us to reach out, not just with our hands, but with our hearts, to include everybody that belongs here to this congregation, especially the congregation, the household of God. And God, we're so alone. So many people are so lonely. A man today cried out, just wept because he was so alone. God, I pray for him tonight. Help us to find those people that we can relate to and get involved with and care enough to confront and do it. Lord, help us not just to live to please ourselves. I pray this in Jesus' name for His sake. Now, it would not be fair to you if I did not give you an opportunity to respond to God's call to your life, maybe to join the church or rededicate your life, or to be saved. It would be a terrible tragedy if I just closed this service and God was calling you to make a decision publicly, and I didn't give you an opportunity to do that. So I'm trusting that God will speak to your, has spoken to your heart, and perhaps you want to come tonight just to respond to what He wants you to do, whatever that might be. Let's stand. We'll sing together. We'll invite you to come.